listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 142, and today we are talking about books being released on January 23rd, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, one of my favorite people, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Ah, uh, you're one of my favorite people, too. Thank you. Group hug. <laughs> Podcast <laughs> hug. Podcast hug. So... Here's where we have witty banter. Yes. Oh, right. Banter, oh, shoot. banter, I banter. forgot to prepare wittiness. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's, it's been a long week. It's also, I always talk about the weather. And mm. I read this quote, like, recently that was, like, boring people talk about the weather. And I was like, I must be so boring. <laughs> but, like, it's exciting when you're on the internet. And there are people in other parts of the country and parts of the world listening to this. So they don't know that it's, like, disgusting and sleeting out right now. Like, where I am in Maine. Or what it looks like. Or even ever have to deal with that. So, yeah. you know. I wish I could send you some, uh, some of my sunshine. It's actually beautiful here today. The high is, like, 56 and it's sunny right now. And I'm so sorry. Sorry that you're sleeting. That's terrible. It's probably because Philadelphia won the game right? last night. It's probably true. They were like, sunshine for them. When we won the playoffs <laughs> and are headed into the Super Bowl, we got like a bonus sunshine. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. to melt all the Crisco off the light poles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes, the riot prevention greasing of the poles of Philadelphia. <laughs> this is new for me because this is That's my first... That's a great first, memoir title. <laughs> it is. Well, this is my first, um, like, sports thing in Philadelphia that I'm living through as a resident. So it, it's, I'll report back. It'll be very interesting. Awesome. Well, speaking of awesome, would you like to talk about books? I would love to talk about books. I will tell you about my first pick. I believe, my memory is shot, but I believe this was on my most anticipated list at the beginning of the year. It is Brass by Zenit Aliou. It's a wonderful debut novel. I picked it up immediately because Celestine was talking about it, and I was like, yes, please, I'll read anything that she mentions. Um, It's about two women. One of them is named Elsie. Uh, She's a a teenager in Waterbury, Connecticut in 1960. 1996. Um, she works at the Betsy Ross Diner. She's very poor. Her family's poor. Her, she's got a single mother. Um, and she works at this diner. There's an Albanian immigrant who works in the kitchen. And she hasn't, she's had like some pretty lousy relationships like with boys. She, she They don't really work out. And he's not like an old man, but he's an older man. And so she finds him kind of attractive, even though we as the reader know that he's kind of not great, the things he says and does. Um, But she's smitten, and pretty soon they're involved, even though he has a wife back at home. And it turns out, 17 years later, in the next chapter, we get to meet Julieta, who is Elsie's daughter. Um, She is very shy and quiet. She gets bullied a lot at school, teased about um, being an immigrant, even though, you know, she was born there. Um, She has just received a rejection letter and, and she's distraught, like, she just thought she was going to get into NYU, and she didn't, and so she's just having a really bad day, and this girl who picks on her all the time gets in a fight with her. Basically, it's, like, it's all one-sided. It's the girl, but she decides to, like, tell the principal that, like, she stuck up for herself and, like, gave it as good as she got, and she gets suspended. And so her mother, who it turns out to be, is Elsie, the girl from the first chapter, you know, this is, you know, 17 years later, 
Um, she's like, who are you? I, I can't believe you. Like, this is so unlike you getting in a fight, blah, blah, blah. You know, she's giving her the mom speech. And and Luliette is so upset about everything that's going on because she just thought she was going to get into school. She was going to leave this town that she can't stand. Just like her mother thought she was going to leave the town that she couldn't stand. And now she doesn't know what she's going to do. And so she decides that she's going to find out about her father. Her mother doesn't tell her about her father. She doesn't know anything about him. Uh, and she decides that's her mission now is to learn about her father. And so the novel is told in two narratives. Um, there's Elsie's chapters, which are told in the first person. And she talks about, like, her relationship with this man. And there's uh, Lilietta's uh, chapters, which are told in the second person, um, which which really works. I really, I really enjoyed that. Um, and she talks about, you know, go, looking into her background. And so, like, as Elsie's story unravels, so does Lilietta's and... It's very powerful. It's very frank. It's a it's a fantastic novel about mothers and daughters, but also about poverty and immigration, and also the promise of the American dream. I, I thought it was fantastic. Again, it's called Brass, and it's by Zenit Aliu. I love it when Celestine recommends books. They're always good. Yes. My first pick is the first in a new sci-fi fantasy series. It is called Markswoman by Rati Mehrotra. And it is about a young woman named Kira who is part of this uh, order called the Order of Kali. And they train markswomen. And I should say that this takes place in like an extreme future of our world in which aliens have come and gone and humanity is just kind of like living in the rubble of a much more advanced civilization and uh the sort of region it's unclear to me if it's a region or like the actual continent um that kira lives on slash in is called asiana so like it's Asian inspired. And um, and so she is being trained to be an elite warrior. And the job of the Order of Kali is to protect uh, the people and keep the peace, which they do by like murdering, literally like murdering with knives, um, people who break the rules. And the knives that they use are super special. It's a metal that is sort of imbued with special powers and only a person who has bonded to the knife can use it. So it's a big deal to have one of these knives. It's a big deal to be a markswoman. Um, And Kira is like brand new to this. She goes off on her first mission to kill her first mark and it doesn't go exactly how she wanted it to. And then when she gets back to the training grounds and is sort of completing her training, um, the mistress, the, the head of the order it dies under suspicious circumstances. I can never say that. The first time through, it's all of those S sounds. Suspicious circumstances. Um, And she's convinced that the new woman in charge, Tamsin, did the murder. And so she, like, has to go on the run. And there's a bunch of really interesting sort of like behind the scenes political shenanigans going on in this book. Um, There's another order that's only composed of men, And they're sort of like outcast and they live in the desert. Um, And some people think they're like a myth and it's not even real. Uh, And Kira, of course, meets one of these Mark's men. Uh, His name is Rustan. And the two of them, they sort of are on parallel quests that then intersect and everything gets very complicated. It's a first in a series, so you don't get a full resolution at the end of this. There's definitely questions left unanswered, and I want so much to know 
more about like the world building and this alien technology that's been left behind and how did humanity like get here like what is all the story but it does wrap up a few of the plot lines or it like or it gives you just enough closure that you're not like screaming and throwing the book against the wall which I appreciate um in the first of a series and yeah I loved the world building I really enjoyed following Kira and the other characters that are introduced it's a really interesting sort of take on the post-catastrophe world with a touch of magic so I I think this book will delight a lot of people because that is a kind of like you know it's a it's a section of the genre world that we're always looking for good new voices in so that is Markswoman the first in the Asiana series by Rati Merotra Excellent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have that to read, and I was going to read it, but then I saw you were going to read it, so <laughs> I set it aside. But I have it. Yeah. So. I think you'll dig it. It's fun. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor. Excellent. So you and everyone listening at home or at work or wherever they are off planet, uh, our first sponsor is Penguin Random House Short Stories, the buzziest short story collections of 2018. From New York Times bestselling author Curtis Sittenfeld's dazzling first collection, You Think It, I'll Say It, to National Book Award winner Dennis Johnson's final collection, The Largest of the Sea Maiden, there's a short story collection for every book lover from Random House. Love Phil Kay's redeployment? Will Mackin's mesmerizing collection, Bring Out the Dog, will transport you to the front lines with beautifully outstanding prose. George Saunders calls it a near-miraculous, brilliant debut. And Carmen Maria Machado's raves of Anjali Sachdeva's exhilarating collection, All the Names They Used for God, completing one story is like having lived an entire life and then being born breathless into another. That's high praise coming from, mm-hmm. from Carmen because she her story collection is amazing as well. Um, I have all the names they used for God. I haven't read it yet, but I'm very excited. But I did read the Dennis Johnson and the Curtis Sittenfeld, and they're so fantastic. And redeployment, of course, great. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely going to pick up the Will Mackins. So we thank Penguin Random House for sponsoring today. We'll have a link in the show notes to find out more about their books. And, oh, it's my turn. It's my turn again. <laughs> it is. I was like, I was going to say, and Jen, take it away. <laughs> and then I would have been like, yeah, it's my turn. Uh, my next pick is called In a Cottage in a Wood, and it's by Cass Green. It's about a young woman named Nev. She's, I, if I remember correctly, I read it a long time ago. I, she's like 30, I think. She's living in London. She's a heavy partier, a super heavy drinker. She's very dissatisfied with her life. Um, she's had a bad breakup, and she hasn't really gotten over it. She hates her job. And money is really tight, so she ends up living with her sister's family, Uh, She doesn't get along with her sister's husband. The two children are always there. And she's just, she's miserable. And, like, she knows that she's making all these horrible mistakes. She's coming home drunk in the middle of the night and her sister disapproves, but she can't stop doing it because she's so miserable. And so at the end of one of these evenings where she has been out on a drinking binge, she's walking home and she sees a woman standing by the edge of a bridge. And she's like... He goes over to her. It's like the middle of the night. It's freezing cold. The woman's not wearing a jacket. So she goes over to her because she's, like, concerned for this woman. And the woman looks, like, strange. She looks upset, but she doesn't... But Nev doesn't really know what's going on. And the woman hands her an envelope and, and says, I want you to have this. And then turns around and jumps off the bridge and dies. And so, obviously, very upsetting. Uh, Nev gives the envelope, you know, to the police when they arrive... 
Um, and, and she tries to put this out of her mind and she goes about her life, but you know, it's, it's very upsetting. And two weeks later, she gets a call from a lawyer's office saying that the stranger on the bridge has left her a cottage in the middle of the woods. The stranger's name was Isabel and she just, she left it and, you know, Nev's like, I I don't want this cottage. I don't know what to do with it. But then she realizes like, I really need a place to, to live. I need to get out of you know, my sister's place, I hate my job, I could just go live in the middle of the woods and sort myself out. So she says yes to taking this cottage. So, because she's like, well, obviously, you know, the woman wanted me to have it, and, you know, the family's like, it's like something that, you know, you did for her, you were with her, you know, in her last moments. So she gets to the cottage. It's a mess. Like, it's gross, and there's trash, and the plumbing is faulty, and there's all these weird noises, and all the windows have bars on them, which she doesn't understand. Uh, so she has a, a very hard time, like, staying there. Um, except there's a sexy Irish handyman who comes mm. to help work on stuff, so that's good. Um, but the weirdness kind of continues, and as Nev snoops around Isabel's life, like, all her stuff is, like, still in this house. Um, like, her mail and her laptop. And she starts looking into, you know, what she was interested in, trying to find out, like, who she was. Um, she finds some things that are very strange... Um, and continues to research them. I don't want to give away anymore, but uh, she wants to know, like, it's obvious that Isabel was afraid to be in this cottage as well, uh, and she wants to know why she was afraid and what's going to happen to her if she continues to stay there. So, and then you have exciting resolution. Um, but it's it's almost a cozy, like a scary, or if it, maybe it sounds scary too, like as scary as it might sound. Um, it's not, it's not that scary. Um, and, and there's very little swearing and no gratuitous violence or sex, so it's, it's almost a cozy, I would call it. Um, but it's just, you know, an easy, fun read. Again, it's called In a Cottage in the Wood, and it's by Cass Green. It does sound scary to me, but I'm, my, my scare, (laughs) my scare meter is set very low, so. Yeah. I'm easily frightened. Um, (laughs) in a total sort of different vein, my next pick is The Rough Patch, Marriage and the Art of Living Together by Daphne DeMarneff. Uh, this is nonfiction written by a clinical psychologist who has, like, sort of, I guess, made her name in marriage counseling. Um, and I am neither an empty nester nor currently married, so I wouldn't appear to be the target demographic for this book (laughs) at first glance. But I thought it was very interesting So what she does in this book is each chapter is divided into a sort of topic relevant to uh, problems in marriages. So money, alcohol and drugs, parenting, sex, extramarital affairs, um, lovesickness, health, like aging parents, all of this stuff. There's a lot of uh, different sort of case studies, but she has organized them around those specific topics. And what she's talking about is when you are in a marriage and have been in one for a long time and then you hit a rough patch, um, and how do you get through it? And how do you know if you want to get through it? And she, it's interesting because she, she's got some really good sort of techniques and uh, ways to look at a relationship that I found very useful. Um, Thinking back on my own divorce and like other relationships that I've been in, I'm like, oh, that framework is very helpful and I will use that in the future. 
She also, when she's telling these sort of case studies from her past clients, she injects some of her personal opinions, which I both found interesting and then a little distracting. Like there's there's certain moments where she's sort of giving the side eye to one of the stories one of her clients is telling her. And I'm like, hey, like you're the therapist. You're not supposed to give your your client side eye. Um, but it is very honest, I think. And she, she also doesn't, she tries to be clear about where her own biases are and then to push through them. So for example, there's, uh, she talks a bit about polyamory and open relationships. And you can tell that she's skeptical, but she also tries to find instances and like talk to people who this has worked for to give you examples of how it can work if this is a thing that you are interested in exploring or that you want more information about. So she is pretty upfront about her biases, but also tries to present the opposite side where she needs to, which I found good. Uh, A couple other thoughts on this. Most of the couples are heterosexual, but there are a few LGBTQ couples represented. so that is that might be helpful for you to know if you're interested in this book. There is some stuff specifically about men versus women, but most often she uses pretty neutral terms like your partner and things like that. So it's not super gender essentialist, which I also appreciated. So yeah, I think, you know, I don't read a ton of marriage counseling books. That's so funny to like talk about this from, from where I'm <laughs> sitting. Um, but I thought, I just thought it sounded interesting, especially because I am divorced and I was like, oh, what does she have to say about this? Uh, and so, yeah, and I did find it very interesting. There's some really good things, uh, tips and techniques in here, uh, that you might be familiar with if you're in therapy. If you're not, it might give you some food for thought. So that is The Rough Patch, Marriage and the Art of Living Together by Daphne DeMarneff. All right, then. I know. It's kind of random. I don't read a ton of nonfiction either, but every now and then something catches my eye. Well, I'm trying to up my nonfiction game, and I'll read anything. Yeah. Um, and this next pick is actually nonfiction, although I have to say I don't usually do this, but I'm only halfway through it. <laughs> like, like that never used to be me, but last year I tried to read as many books as I possibly could, and like I read a whole bunch of backlists, and I kind of fell behind in my advanced reading and so now I'm like cutting it really close when I read things, um, but I'll, I'll get I'll get it back. I'll get welcome there. to um, what life is like for the rest of us. <laughs> so, um, I I was I was very distracted. My boyfriend and I have started watching Game of Thrones, mm. so we were like watching a million episodes this weekend, and I was like, I gotta read a book. But I was like, we can watch one more. So yeah, I'm like halfway through it. But it's really good, and now let me tell you about it. It's called The Milk Lady of Bangalore. It's by Shobha Narayan, and she is a writer and journalist from India. She lived for many years in Manhattan, and this is about when she and her family moved back to India. Uh, she befriends the Milk Lady. Um, so shocking, you know, the Milk Lady. Uh, you can guess that from the title. <laughs> but she decides, uh, because she can't afford to, and her, her new friend cannot, that she's going to buy her a new cow. The milk lady needs a new cow. Um, and, it, and it kind of, it's sort of like a science and history book, because it talks about the place of cows and milk in India's history. Um, you learn about cows and how to pick a proper one, so if you ever need to buy a cow, like, you could read this book. Um, <laughs> it's also a look at modern India. Like, I am learning so much. Like, m- Probably more than I needed to know about cow urine, but other than that, like, so much. And 
it's it's really great. And now I'm gonna say this thing, and we're gonna get hate mail, but it's utterly charming. Oh. <laughs> I went there. Anyway, again, it's called The Milk Lady of Bangalore, and it's by Shoba Narian. I saw that one, and I am glad you picked it because it looked so interesting to me. Although, I'm not sure I want to know that much about cow urine, but... Well... But, you, you know. May I, maybe I'll go through and, like, block out that stuff, <laughs> and then I can send no, you no. my copy. It's all in the name <laughs> of knowledge. <laughs> Should I tell you about our second sponsor? Yes, please. It is Libby, which is the one-tap reading app from Overdrive, and what you can do is download Libby to your smartphone or tablet and then access thousands of ebooks and audiobooks from your library for free anytime, anywhere. They have titles in all genres from bestsellers to classics and nonfiction. There's comics. And there's a lot more. And Libby works on both Apple and Android devices and is compatible with your Kindle. So pretty much all you need is a library card and a device. You can actually sample any book in the library collection without a library card. And in certain locations, it will help you get your library card if you don't have any, if you don't have one already. So there's a lot going on. I actually use this pretty much every day because for our Get Booked podcast show, I need access to a lot of backlist on a very rolling basis. And if I tried to buy all of the books that I needed for that show, like I would have negative money instantly. So I find it super helpful to be able to go on and look to see what my library has. You can look in under certain genres. You can search for authors and titles. They even have little tagging features so you can build yourself notes for later. Super handy, especially if you are a library user or you want more books for free. So you can go to meet.libbyapp.com and happy reading. Thank you so much to Libby for sponsoring the show. Oh, and it's still my turn. Okay, so I have another genre book, but this one is one of those literary genre benders. It is Eternal Life by Dara Horn, who I have been reading for years and really like. Uh, she always delivers just sort of really interesting, high-concept books that go places you don't expect them to go. And this one, as the title would suggest, Eternal Life, is about a woman who can't die. Her name is Rachel, and she has been alive for basically 2,000 years, like the present back to 2,000 years. Um, she made a bargain with God to save the life of her first son. Uh, she was born in Roman-occupied Jerusalem, and she went to the temple when her son was dying, seeming to be just, like, chronically ill. And, yeah, she made a bargain with God, and now she lives forever. And she has sort of continued to have a family throughout her whole life. So every, you know, 60 to 80 years, depending on the average lifespan of the time she's in, she just like goes off and reinvents herself and starts a new family. So she's got like hundreds of children over the course of her life. She's lived in dozens of countries. She's had a ton of husbands. It's very interesting because you can tell that Dara Horn is really dedicated to figuring out what it would look like if you were immortal and could have babies. Like, what does that <laughs> look like? 
And when you meet Rachel, she's in the 21st century, and one of her grandchildren is working in genetic engineering and is starting to ask questions about Rachel and her biology specifically. And so she's like, oh, shoot, like, science has finally caught up to me. Like, nobody, you know, it's like you could get burned for a witch, but, like, otherwise nobody's (laughs) going to really figure out what's going on with you. But now science is catching up, and um, she has to decide, like... Is she going to let her granddaughter figure out about her? Is she going to is she going to tell her? Is she going to be part of science? Is she going to run off? Um, and complicating everything is the man who is also immortal, who she who was the father of her son back in Jerusalem, um, and he kind of has been stalking her for two thousand years. It's really their relationship is very complicated. It's super hashtag complicated. They because she obviously slept with him and had a son with him. Um, but also doesn't actually like him all that much, although she does <laughs> love him in a very specific way. So their relationship is really strange and like not always fun to watch. Um, but it is very compelling. So this was, yeah, it's a super interesting book to read. I've read my fair share of books about people who live forever, and this was not like any of them. It's a very different take on it. And I think that if you are interested in the concept from like that philosophical philosophical view and also curious about what your spirituality might look like if this was your life this is a really good thing to pick up so again that's eternal uh, excuse me eternal life by dara horn i also have that to read too yeah i i'm excited to read it imagine if if she had babies that lived forever Right. And none of her children are immortal. Right. Exactly. But no, they all like grow old and die. And then she she like basically kind of has to watch everyone she knows, plus everyone in her family over and over and over again. It's intense. It's like like the Green Mile curse. Yeah. Like for messing with with God. Um, My next book is a very small one. I'm going to tell you very little about it. Um, I am going to say, though, uh, trigger warnings for sexual assault. Uh, this is a very powerful little novel. I mean little because it's, like, very skinny. Um, but it's remarkably well written. But again, like I said, it's very upsetting, so I'm going to say very little about it. Just uh, tell you that, you know, I read this and I loved it for the writing. The writing is amazing. It's about, it's called Peach. It's by Emma Glass. It's about a woman named Peach. Uh, she has been sexually assaulted and it's how she and her body sort of process this information and her thought process as she tries to figure out, like, what she's going to do about what has happened. Um, the writing is not straightforward. If you've read A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing by Amir McBride, it's very similar to that. But, like I said, it's it's very intense and it's the writing is fantastic. Um, it gives you a very visceral reaction. Uh, so that's all I'm going to say about it. A little blurb for a little book. It's called Peach, and it's by Emma Glass. I loved A Girl as a Half-Formed Thing. That book is so depressing, but it's so good at the same yeah. time. So it's so Peach, is it experimental in the same way that the McBride yes. book is? Interesting. Definitely. Interesting. Oh, I'm going to have to pick that up. I'll have to, like, gird myself for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait till I'm, like, able to deal with lots of sad feelings. But that does sound very interesting to me. 
my last book is a fairy tale rewrite, but not in that way. And I think you've read this one, which makes me happy because this is my first Barbara Comins that I've ever read. Um, it's The Juniper Tree. And if you're at all familiar with Grimm's fairy tales, you will know that there is a fable called the Juniper Tree. Um, And this is a completely 100% realistic retelling of that fable. So there's no magic. It's not a fairy tale retelling in the sense of like, you know, I don't know, Robin McKinley or Neil Gaiman, the way they retell fairy tales. No, this is all realism. So you are meeting a woman named Bella who has... She's pretty, but she has a very intense facial scar from a, a car accident thing. I think it was a car accident. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. And she is the mother of an illegitimate mixed race child in like, is it's like 70s Britain, right? Is that is that the right year? It's like 60s or 70s Britain. Um And she, so she's a single mom. She's looking for work. She's estranged from her own mother. And she sort of is wandering around this neighborhood trying to find a job. And she has a little run-in with this woman who's, like, beautiful and clearly rich um, and doesn't really think anything of it. She finds a job in an antique store and then meets the woman again and sort of gets adopted by this woman, Gertrude, and her husband, Bernard. Um, They have a beautiful house. They have this lovely garden. And they really take Bella and her daughter in as sort of an adopted part of the family. So they spend weekends at the house and, you know, Gertrude and Bernard are really sweet to her daughter. And Bella also, in the meantime, is sort of building a life for herself. She now has a job. She's got an apartment that she's making nice. Um, And so you see her just sort of putting her life back together in the context of this friendship with this couple. Um, And then Gertrude gets pregnant and dies while delivering the baby and everything sort of shifts from this very idyllic sort of sweet lovely you know extended family into a much more complicated situation I don't really think you can spoil this book but I also don't want to tell you all of the plot points because (laughs) I because it seems like there's you should discover some things along the way um but yeah so Gertrude or so Gertrude dies and Bella's relationship with Bernard changes um and yeah it's there's a lot that goes on it's definitely a look at what it means to be a single mother it also deals with sort of female psychology in terms of you know the diagnoses of things like hysteria or like what happens to you when you present as mad as a woman in that time period um it's really it, it like had that dreamy quality that I associate with fairy tale retellings, which is interesting because it's such like a a contemporary modern setting uh, it, it, that like produced a little bit of very enjoyable cognitive dissonance in my brain. Um, and yeah, I just I don't know. I thought it was fascinating. It's 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 a character study, sort of with the framework of this Grimm's fairy tale, and I liked it a lot. <laughs> I love, I absolutely love her. Yeah. All, all her books are, are very similar to that. She's kind of like um, a later, like Muriel Spark or um, Jane Bowles or uh, who else am I thinking of? Paula Fox. Oh, yeah. Um, she's just, she's so fantastic. There's a book of hers I, call, I absolutely love. My favorite one is called uh, Who Is Changed and Who Is Dead. 
which is about a little town and bread making, and it's very sinister. It's great. Um, but this one, this one is is also great. I think I talked about another one of hers on the podcast at one point too. Mm. Um, and I'm so glad that you read her because yeah. she's she's awesome. So it's so interesting, and it, you know, it also reminded me of that um, Canongate series where they have you know different authors like Jeanette Winterson and Margaret Atwood and whoever rewriting myths. So if that's a series that you've been following, I think Ali Smith did one. Um, this yep. is definitely something that you're going to want to pick up. And the it's an older book, obviously. Um, I think it was first published in 1985. But yep. N- NYRB is reissuing it. So that's why it is relevant. <laughs> the new edition comes out this Tuesday, the 23rd. So, yeah. I did you re- I didn't read this I read an older edition. Um the new edition has an introduction, but I always skip introductions to older books because I find that they spoil so much that like I've just learned not to read them until after. Like, did you get a yeah. chance to read the introduction? I confess I did skip the introduction for that reason and then forgot yeah. to go back. But the introduction is yeah. by Sadie Stein, so that's nice. So, again, that's The Juniper Tree by Barbara Commons. So that's your last book. That's my I last said book. my last book. What are you going to read next? I I was just in New York for a hot minute last week and I picked up a- Uh yeah, why were you in New York? Oh, <laughs> it was it was my it was a fancy moment. I was interviewing Nick Harkaway for his new book Nomen, uh which yeah. he had a launch at Greenlight Bookstore. It was so fun. That book is such a trip. You talked about that book on the show, yeah? Uh I did not. <gasps> oh, well. Just I mean, I've mentioned it a bunch of, of times, but I didn't yes. end up like talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's long and mind-boggling and weird is my like capsule recommendation for that book. Like if that is a combination of things that appeals to you, you should pick it up. Um, but yeah, while I was in Brooklyn, I swung by the Book Riot offices where people still send books even though I don't work there anymore. And there's this book that was there that I grabbed called Fight Like a Girl, The Truth Behind How Famil- Female Marines Are Trained by Kate Germano with Kelly Kennedy. And um, what grabbed me was the blurb where it talks about how, so Kate Germano was a lieutenant colonel who became the commanding officer of uh, an all-female battalion of, like, women who were just entering the Marine Corps. And she decided she was going to raise the historically low standards for their performance and, like, try to get them up to the same place that the male Marines were because they train male and female Marines completely separately. So she did, and then they fired her. Um, So I was like, well, I need to hear more about this, clearly. So I grabbed that, and that's next up for me. Another nonfiction. I am doing better reading nonfiction. (laughs) I read one last year called Shoot Like a Girl. Oh, interesting. Which was about a woman who fought in Afghanistan. So, How was that? It was very good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What are you going to read? Well, so I start because everyone talked about it. I bought a copy of Kushiel's Dart. Oh, yes. Many years ago or not many years ago, many months ago. I can't remember. Um, and then so then the other day, Preeti was so excited about it on the Internet. I was like, I'm going to read this. But I'm not in the right mindset. Like mm. there are already so many names. Yeah. And like, <laughs> like, I was, and also I realized like I knew Someone a while ago who had a cat named Phaedrus, and I had no idea, like, where that name oh. comes from. And now I'm, like, 99.9% sure that's where it came from. <laughs> but, like, it, everything is so busy right now in my life. Like, I need to, like, in Game of Thrones, there's too many names yeah. being thrown around all the time. So I'm going to read, after we get off the mic, uh, I have the new Han Kang. Mm. It's called The White Book. Um, I am sorry it's not out 
in the U.S. yet. I have friends in Euro places. Um, <laughs> so, and I looked, but I can't find a release date for it. But um, she wrote The Vegetarian and Human X, and I've heard rave reviews about this. So that is what I'm going to read next. And that is the end of our show for today. We want to thank our sponsors, Random House, for their buzziest short story collections, and Libby, the OneTap Overdrive app. And we will have links to those in the show notes. You can also drop us a line at allthebooks at bookriot.com and tell me how horrible my cow pun was. No. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Miss Liberty. Uh, Jen is... I, I, yeah, I'm mostly on Tumblr these days. So it's jenirl.tumblr.com okay. and it's Jen with two N's. Yeah, because I, I always mean to ask you before and then I forget until we start recording. That's that um, You're not that on Twitter that often. Nope. But, um, and if you want to do us a favor, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It lets other book lovers find their way to us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today or more books today in general, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.